The role of the modern day pastor and ministry leader is changing. More and more pastors around the world today are ministry leaders who are doing multiple jobs and wearing multiple hats. They are bivocational or co-vocational leaders. They may be pastors looking for creative ways to use their church or staff to create income and revenue for sustainability. They may be ministry leaders who are looking for ways to launch for-profit initiatives or integrate innovation into their organization. They may be those who want to do missions globally and find creative ways to create sustainability. Or they may be marketplace leaders who are called to stay in the marketplace, but want to be part-time pastors, lay pastors, start ministries or nonprofits. This is the age of the new ministry leader. They wear different hats and do different things. They are technologically savvy and global. They are who God is using to make an impact in cities and communities around the world. This is the Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader Podcast, and these are their stories. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Today, I get a chance to talk with two new friends who I've never worked, uh, gotten to know before. And my friends at Moody Publisher is so kind enough to send me their newest releases every single month, a special thanks to Greg Thornton. And so as a result, I'm going through the newest release. And I then come onto what comes next. I said, wow, this is a very good book. I turn them back and I see these two authors. I said, I got to find some way to get in touch with them. Nick Skytland and Allie Llewellyn. So welcome to you, both of you guys, and thank you for coming on. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, we love being here. Yeah. Hey, let me just ask, uh, uh, Allie, I'm going to start with you as well, too. Tell me a little bit about your journey, what you currently are doing right now, and how you got to what you're doing right now. Yeah, it's quite a story. So um, I work at NASA, where I do digital strategy and um, manage a collaboration space at the Johnson Space Center because my passion is really equipping people to think differently and helping their teams execute on innovation strategy. Um, my background is very different. I, in, as an undergrad, I studied Greek and Latin. I taught Latin to elementary school kids for a while, trained missionaries to work overseas, worked with at-risk youth, did a lot of real people and team-oriented things. Um, but the door eventually opened for me to come to NASA, and I was so excited. I've been a lifelong, passionate believer in exploration. And so really have put those same skills and made those skills my asset, my skill to give at NASA. So really still doing those same things of building bridges between people, helping communicate about things, helping build meaningful collaborations. I just get to do it with people at the greatest exploration agency on Earth. Yeah. Ali, it is interesting. Nick, before I go to you, is one of the things I realize, and this is what these podcasts are, the journey, where we are right now, the skills that we are on has been something that God has been developing and shaping. And sometimes when we look back and say, wow, I never knew that that job prepared me to what I am doing right now. One day I got introduced to Sharon Hoover. Sharon was a school teacher. She's now the uh, missions pastor over at her church in Virginia. But before awesome. that, she was a school teacher, then turned CIA analyst for the Middle East. And then from that point, become a, and she says, everything I learned and I'm doing right now stems from my time working with the CIA. Yeah. Mm. Nick, so what about yourself? What's your journey? Yeah, so um, I let's see. Where does my journey um, start? I mean, it's it's been it's 
uh, been very interesting because I, I also work at NASA. I, I spend a lot of time thinking about exploration technology. And I've had a really great career at NASA. I've done a lot of interesting things from train astronauts to uh, do neutral buoyancy training where we float in pools and practice exploration operations. I've done a lot of uh, advanced strategy work and thinking about the future of exploration and how we engage citizens in that. Um, and then Ali and I both consider ourselves to be bivocational. So we, we also are co-founders of a technology and strategy firm focused on the church called Quite Uncommon. So we tend to think about how do we advance um, the mission of the church and raise up a generation that is passionate about using technology um, to reach the world. And so a lot of our, our work um, kind of is the intersection of these passionate explorers, technologists, um, CEOs, and executives thinking about what comes next. Yeah. Ali, I, I, I'm going to go over to you. I love this whole idea of quite uncommon. How did you two meet and how did this project come together? Yeah, so we we named our firm Quite Uncommon, um, really around the story of Second Samuel. And Samuel was growing up in an era where it was said that the word of the Lord was rare and vision was quite uncommon. And we, we sometimes feel like that, don't we? We feel like just like Israel in that time was stuck in a rut, like they were going on and doing the day to day and there was no vision, there was no future. They couldn't see beyond the immediate. We really wanted to, to tell that story of if just one person, just like Samuel did, if one person says yes to the voice of God, if one person believes in that divine spark that drives us toward innovation and thinking differently, then then just like Samuel did, you can change a nation and change the world. Yeah. And so that was really our passion. We've done it with small companies and huge agencies all around the world. Um, and we wanted to carry that that vision forward to help launch people's ideas and believe in a better future yeah nick what does that look like with the engagement with the ministry with the church with christ followers what does that look like we think about ourselves as launch experts kind of going off what ali was saying we like to help people understand that they don't need more certainty they need more clarity and you need that before you can have a strategy so if you're ever going to engage your community you need to think about where you're going, what comes next, and recognize that God's calling you to be part of that future. Um, and that also that you have a role to give other people in your community permission to participate as well. So I think that's where it really starts. And, and we've done a lot of work with ministry leaders um, over the past 10 years, um, helping them uh, envision what comes next, engaging their community to help make that a reality. And we recognized that what most people lacked was just simply kind of an intentional strategy to think about what comes next in, in, in a logical way, in a way that helps them get unstuck, um, that gives them permission to think differently. Oftentimes we're working with executives who have been brought in by maybe a board or their leadership team, and they recognize that they're stuck as an organization. They recognize that the world's changing around them but they don't quite know what to do about it. So they bring in the young executives. They're like, Allie, you're here. Help us out. We know that we need to do things differently. We just don't know what that is. Allie, please help us. And Allie's like, hey, I'm here. I want to help, but I don't know where to start. So that's what the book is all about. What Comes Next is all about giving people those next steps, a starting map, a roadmap to navigate that uncertainty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and do you find a lot of times it's a lot of coaching, asking questions, but, or does it also include a lot of curriculum, teaching, learning, classroom activities, Allie? 
Uh, I would say it includes both, but the primary things would be learning to ask better questions. We have a whole chapter on that in the book, that that's the best thing you can do. Because I can give you curriculum all day long, but it will look different in your context than mine, with your stakeholders than mine. So if you learn to ask those questions, it changes everything. The other piece that we really try to infuse in there is just the courage to think differently. Because a lot of people want to see a change and they're not sure how, and they get talked out of it. They get talked out of it by the status quo or the boss who doesn't believe in it or everybody else who says they're crazy. And we're trying to catch those people right at that stage of that little spark and fan it into a flame that they would recognize that that their desire to see a different future isn't isn't impossible. It isn't silly. It's actually quite pra- put some practical steps around that uh, before they give up on it almost. Yeah. Nick, in some sense, I, I, for myself, I had to realize that because I could have stayed within the nonprofit ministry church space, but I realized I was good at handling multiple projects. But over the last 10 years, I had to create myself where I understood my skills. So now I'm running four to five different organizations, utilizing and thinking outside the box. But that took time. And a lot of people saying, what are you doing? I don't understand what you're doing. Are you sure you're on the right path? And you had to constantly hone in on those different skills. Yeah, I mean, I think that's spot on. I mean, the future of ministry is that, right? We're no longer in our perfect swim lanes of only being a pastor for a congregation. You're also yeah. an executive of a church. You're also a mentor to many people in your community. You're also involved in the community and doing service projects. I mean, you're so multifaceted. In the world we live in, the future of work, the future of ministry is, is bivocational. Or in your case, you, you're wearing five, six hats at one time. And honestly, I think that those folks are the innovators of tomorrow because they're Absolutely. the ones who are able to like pull from those different perspectives and bring it all together. Uh, Ali and I very much value um, diversity of thought. And, and the more diverse we can get, the more perspective we can bring in. We, we honestly believe the solution would be better, which is why we're firm believers in collaborations. But even when we're forming collaborations, it's not just like getting four churches together. It's how can the local church partner with a tech firm who can partner with a local government agency all around a common cause of having a specific impact in their community. So we're so very- we change the world and not just reach the church. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's about impact. And now at the same time, Nick and Ali, here's the problem I find with that a lot of times is the actual collaboration, because a lot of times the churches are very stuck on this is the way we do it, because this is what mm-hmm. God is calling us to do it. But then they don't want to work with other like my partners or other business entities. And everyone says, I experienced, everybody wants to partner together until you work on the actual tangibles right. and then people won't budge. Yeah, I mean, I think that comes down to we hold so tightly to the things that we hold essential and we don't open-handedly approach others with things that are non-essential. We write in the book that if we can form collaborations not on the things that we hold tight to, but the things that we can can agree upon generally, um, it'll there's a lot more space for collaboration. And then and and it, it allows people to participate and contribute the things that they are uniquely gifted at contributing. Yeah. And the more you partner, the more you build it. It grows from there, and then the collaboration expands. Mm. Yeah, and speaking of the book, Ali, talk to me a little bit about the book. The book is called What Comes Next, Shaping the Future in an Ever-Changing World, a Guide for Christian Leaders. Talk to me about the book. How did this book come together? 
Yeah, so Nick and I were serving at Urbana, which is a big national yes. mission conference. And it was Urbana. Year, huh? Yeah, what year was it for Urbana? 18, right? Yeah, yes. well, we were 20. 15 and 18. But yeah, we were at 15 and 18. But we were giving a, um, a seminar on the future of ministry. And it's really where we started to talk about the futures framework that's in the book. And so we gave this seminar. It was very interesting because we we're talking about technology and its influence on ministry and collaboration. And everybody wanted to talk about social media. We're like, no, <laughs> like it was great. We wanted to answer those questions. Social media matters, but we really um, kept hammering, guys, this is about how we use technology to do the work of the church, not just how we communicate stuff, not just how we tell our own stories, but how we lighten the load of work. That's the meaning of technology, right? The, the things that we create to make doing work easier. And so in this seminar, we just had a great time and it was a really pro uh, provoking discussion back and forth and sitting in the audience uh, was our moody editor and she came up in the line at the end and said I'd love to talk to you guys about making a book out of this and we we hadn't really thought about it we really cared about the framework and we really cared about sharing it out to as many people as possible and it just felt like a natural step of the best and easiest way to get it in the hands of the most people um, as quickly as we could yeah hey it is funny Ellie and Nick I mean Urbana, I, my friend Tom Lynn was, is the president yeah. of Barclay, but he He's was a director great. of Urbana. Yeah. I love Tom. I was on the Urbana leadership team with Tom for two of the Urbanas. He so has cool. become a dear friend, but it was because of Urbana that we started Resource Global because of everything wow. I saw in the changing phase of global missions was mm -hmm. through the Urbana Missions Conference. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how we got started was we did a hackathon at the first uh, in our band of 15 because Tom and others had a vision about a different kind of mobilization. It wasn't just how can we activate missionaries with this traditional missionary background? How can we activate technologists and engineers and designers and others to work toward the Great Commission without necessarily sticking in this old school model of how we do mobilization? And so from that, that was our engagement in Urbana and love their foresight to think differently. Nick, in some sense, it is such a breath of fresh air talking with you and Allie, because a lot of times is when I talk with different church pastors, a lot of churches are still sending out missions. I do not disagree with sending out missionaries, but we need to look differently because many of the world are going to Singapore, Australia, London, the U.S. to for schooling now have gone back 20 years ago. The cities look a lot different than it was right now because of the rise of technology. How does missions change because of it? Yeah, we spent a lot of time thinking about this. What does the future of ministry look like in a world that's becoming less analog and more digital? Um, how do we reach a generation that communicates and lives their lives using technology like social media, but just technology in general? I mean, you ask Alexa, who is Jesus? What does Alexa say? Who programs that? I mean, you have an entire generation of engineers, designers who are spending their entire days at work being very influential in the world. And so our question is, well, what does that look like for the future of digital missions? How do we raise up a generation of technologists and engineers and designers who want to use their talents to advance the gospel and to advance the mission? And so we that's why we're really big on this idea of bivocation, because I think the future of ministry looks different than maybe in the past because honestly my local church is not equipped well for a full-time google engineer 
Google yeah. is a good place for a Google engineer. But wouldn't it be amazing if that Google engineer could also serve the church um, when with, with the stuff that they, they learn, the data science and the engineering, the algorithms. And, and technology is just one part of the whole future's yeah. framework. Because we also talk about... Um, you know, what is the influence of changing demographics? What is the influence of no longer working from the office, but working from home, changing the place? And we also talk a lot about our purpose, our purpose as individuals and organizations and how we tie all of this to the purpose and the impact we want to have. Yeah. And would you say a lot of times, even the rise of artificial intelligence, technology, all of that stuff, it's going to change the workforce as well, too. Mm -hmm. You, uh, One of our board members works at McDonald's as general counsel. And as McDonald's become more and more technology advanced, you reduce yeah. the workplace or you need a different type of workplace. How right. does that change our culture, how we equip, how we train, how we pay for people? It, it's going to be looked different across the board. Well, and, you know, a couple of years ago, we were talking about, isn't every company, it's essentially at this point, a technology company or a data company, which I mean, that's how that's how most companies these days are thinking of themselves is like, what's the data we have? And how do we monetize that? Well, what about the church? I mean, what is the local church a technology organization or a data organization? Could it be? What does that mean for the future of the church? So we just try to provoke some conversation around those questions to say, you know, maybe we could think about, maybe we could innovate a little bit on how we do missions and ministry in the future. Yeah. Ali, when you have these conversations with pastors, ministry leaders, do, do they resonate or does it take some time for them to still understand what you guys are talking about? It usually takes some time. I mean, there's definitely a few um, early adopters who get it and they, they want to see that change. Um, but most of them, they... They agree that something has to happen, that there's something out there. They just need support in how do they put their hands around it? Yeah. How do they decide which sources to, how do they get equipped to be a part of that? Because in my discovery, most people, especially pastors, they feel ill-equipped to understand technology. A lot of our, our work has also been to help them understand, here's what you need to know and here's what you don't need to know. You do need to be thinking about these questions, but you don't need to understand how to program this or how to do that. But, but helping them understand this is enough for you to see how it's influencing the world around you um, and how to help people be a part of that. Yeah. Uh, one practical way, and Nick and Ellie, you've probably seen this, is I sit at church a lot of times back in the days in person, and I hear people usually with children's ministry. We need help in children's ministry. Any volunteer, please sign up for six weeks, five weeks, whatever it is. And I sat there. Every week you're kind of begging for help and you're guilty me to sign up, but I have no passion for children's ministry. You don't want me in children's ministry, but how do you take my skills or whoever their skills are, project management, marketing, finance, take those skills and apply it and develop programs at the Come church on. because now they're serving out of their passions and strengths. Here's a good example. And I think it resonates with you. I have a young girl who worked at Facebook at Walt Disney World, got her doctorate in artificial intelligence and human interaction. It's great that she's doing so children's cool. ministry. She needs to be doing something else within the church. Yeah, hands down. I mean, and that's, ideally we want people to serve out of their talents. And I think up to this point, the church hasn't known what to do with the technologists and engineers, which is exactly why we did the hackathon at Urbana. It's like being at a school dance and all the nerds are kind of standing on the side and they don't have dates. And they're like, I, I feel really super awkward here. That's like scientists and engineers in the local church. They're like, okay, I mean, sure. I can park cars and work in kids ministry, but like, I'm really, I'm a data scientist. So can you do anything with that? 
Yeah. And I think until 2020, we just didn't know what to do with them. And then all of a sudden, in around March of 2020, (laughs) the global church is like, oh, we have to be online. What is that? Imagine. Does anyone know what we do with this? And I think I think it maybe opened our eyes to the possibilities and the opportunities in front of us. If we started to engage people with these skills, like what how could we how could the church continue to be such a strong influence and impact on our world? And I think there's like Ali and I get frustrated because we see the opportunity. So yes. we have to be patient and help in helping the church come along. But we are so encouraged by the innovation that we've Truly. seen in the past couple of years and just continues to accelerate. And wouldn't you say, and we were just talking about this, not only in the U.S., but around the world as well, too. Ali, you were just talking about your time in Indonesia and different parts of the world. You see that in Nairobi, yeah. the uh, the Silicon Valley of Africa, you see it growing in, in Indonesia or Singapore, everywhere you go. Yeah, necessity is the mother of invention, right? And what, what I've discovered as I've served around the world is places uh, in other in other countries tend to be so much more willing to incorporate diversity into their approach because they know they need it. You know, in the American church, we're still so self-focused so often um, we, we think it's just about us, but everywhere I've been, they go, okay, we don't have this. What do we need? What are we going to do about it? And so there's a much more in the, in the sectors I've been in much more, uh, willingness for innovation. You know, there's a really good example of that. We've done a lot of, uh, hackathons for the church. And the hackathon is just simply a convening of technologists. They could be in person. They could be online. We have struggled to do hackathons in the United States when it comes yeah. to the church. This is not a problem around the rest of the world. I mean, Asia, Africa, they yeah, are on it. They are on it. But it's the American church where we mm-hmm. where we have, it's like we partition what we do during the week as engineers and scientists and technologists and then what happens on Sundays. And we, we can't get over that divide. And we see it when we do our events because we just have a lack of interest um, in the events, like just compared to the rest of the world. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, hey, now for you two, how did you two meet? Did you guys, were you guys co-workers one day and realized, man, we share the same faith. Let's work together. How did that come about? Well, let me start. I'll just say, I'll let Allie tell the story, but I met Allie when she was a giant inflatable astronaut. <laughs> it's true. So uh, we have this thing called Yuri's Night and Yuri's Night is an international um, celebration of human spaceflight. So it's every April 12th, and on April 12th was the day of the first man in space, Yuri Gagarin, and the first space shuttle flight. And so I had just started at NASA, and Nick was leading our local Yuri's Night Party, and I ended up with the last volunteer job on the list, which was to dress in the nine-foot-tall inflatable astronaut costume. But I had worked at church camp for many years. I was, I was like, totally fine with it. So I had a I had a escort who would escort me around, and I would walk around as the astronaut and take photos with kids, and um, that was how we met. First of all, how was that the last? I would have signed up for that job. All I know that. it was a great job. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Now, uh, Nick, let me ask you: Did you guys enjoy both of you, Nick, Ali? Did you enjoy writing a book? <laughs> so writing the book. Um, is a very hard process. Yes. Um, and doing it with another co-author is maybe even more difficult. And that's exactly the point we wanted to make. Sometimes collaboration is difficult, but 
the end result, if you're willing to do the hard work, is so much better. We're so proud of the book that we wrote because it's better than either one of us could have ever individually wrote. Um, it's it's a it's a collective work of art, and I think it it was really shaped by this collaboration. So we um, just just try to be disciplined in the process of it, and in some weeks I would be motivated to write. Other weeks, Ali would be motivated to write. We would try to build into our strengths, leverage our strengths. Um, Ali, one of the games I like to play with Ali is that I just give her an, an, a word and let her tell me what like the Greek root structure of the word is. I can barely speak the English language. So I like to draw Venn diagrams. Um, <laughs> so the book is really a combination of all of our, all of our skills. Nick, Ali, I'm sitting here listening to you guys and I have zero desire to ever write a book. I have zero <laughs> desire to ever do any of this stuff. It is funny how God has gifted us with certain passions and skills. And there are certain things people love. I said, how in the world do they enjoy doing that? Uh, but for me, putting ideas together, I could do this all yeah. day. But writing and doing, I couldn't do it. Yeah. You know, if the Lord called you to, you could. And right. the joy was really, like Nick said, uh, calling it out of each other. We have a lot of trust between us. And so when it was hard for one or the other, we could press into it. It was really that desire to spread this vision that we had and see how that we could get it beyond ourselves. And the Moody editors were phenomenal. And so phenomenal. we couldn't have done it without them. Either. Yeah. I mean, we were so fortunate to be able to work with someone like Moody. I mean, we, they were, they have amazing editors, amazing designers. I mean, every part of that book writing process was really fun for us. And so I know that it's not the same way for all authors. And that's <laughs> we're, we're so thankful to have such a great publisher like Moody to be able to work with. Good. Greg Thornton, if you're listening in on this, he uh, he used to be a vice president of Moody Publishers. He, he would love to, he, it, it'll probably bring a smile to his face. Hey, Ali, let me ask you a question. As you yeah. look upon the book and people read this book, Christian leaders, uh, pastors, what are you hoping that they're going to take away from the book? Yeah, you know, my passion vocationally is really about empowering people for what God's called them to. And so what, what I want them to take away is practical belief in I can do it. I can do what I'm called to. I can believe in the future God's put in my heart. Uh, I'm not an imposter. I'm not not enough. All I have to do is find a community and we're going to walk this out together. That's that's really, I want people to, to recover that sense of belief in themselves and in the future in front of them. Interesting. Good. Very, very good. Hey, uh, for you, Nick, as we wrap up here in terms of our interview is, what's next? Are, are you guys hoping to continue to grow quite uncommon, continue to write a second? Is there another book or do more speaking? What are you guys hoping to do with all this? We are um, just open to what God has in store for us that we aren't aware of yet. So we um, finished up the book. We launched a website that goes with it, futuresframework.com. We continue to put out a ton more uh, resources and articles there. One of the things about writing a book, by the way, is that you always have more to include than you're allowed to fit in the book. And so we have a lot of stuff that we continue to share on the website. We also launched our own podcast called Navigating Uncertainty yeah. for Church Leaders. Um, so we've been doing that and we've been interviewing other ministry leaders as part of that. And we continue to do work with uh, organizations just one-on-one -on -one as they need help with strategy, uh, technology development, or convening their communities around a, a common purpose and mission. So there's a lot going on. What we're most excited about is the thing we don't know that God's calling us to. Yeah. Yet. The, the thing in 2021 
that none of us can predict. And I think that's what we learn by writing what comes next is that we don't need to know with certainty what comes next. We just have to have the vision and the clarity on where we want to go. And God will, God will pave the way for us. And wouldn't you say a lot of times to add on to what you just said, Nick and Allie, is are we faithful to where God has placed us right now? Right. Because you look back at even Allie, you shared about being a Latin teacher. You look back and say those skills laid the foundation Absolutely. for what I am doing now, but I had to be faithful during that period of time. Absolutely. And that's why one of our favorite things is helping people identify those things so they can put them in their proper perspective and find the way forward based on those experiences because all of them count, you know, and there's no, there's no wrong turns if we submit them back to God and let him put them in their proper order. Got it. Hey, Nick, Ellie, I mean, I, I just heard everything that you guys are doing together. You're putting into curriculum, you're consulting, but you also have day jobs. And now do you guys have kids and family? I mean, for those who are listening, how do you balance all of this stuff? Uh, well, I have, <laughs> I also do Ironman races. Cause that's usually the question I get is like, how do you have time to train for Ironman races? Um, we both tend to be pretty efficient people and set up a lot of systems in our lives to allow us to have the discipline to work through things. We do, a, we, we apply what we wrote about and what comes next to our own personal lives every, every year. day. Well, and also every year between Christmas and mm -hmm. New Year's, we do like a strategic planning um, week where we sit down and we try to have clarity about where we're going. And that allows us to set goals and, and make some decisions about what we say yes to and what we say no to. Yeah. And we're very, very intentional people about the commitments that we make because we want to advance those things. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, but we, we try to make space for it in our lives. And that allows us to have a lot of capacity. Yeah. 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 Anything to add on that one, Allie? I, I don't have a family, but I'm actually also in graduate school. So I have that on top of my list. So Got now where are you going for grads or what program are you in? Uh, I'm doing a master's in, in strategic foresight in futures. And yeah. so it's super fun to balance everything out and, and do more of the academic deep dive background in a lot of what we talk about, about the book. I think the three of us have a lot in common. I have two girls, one and a half year old, six years old. My Aww. wife is a full uh, first grade teacher, but I have conference calls all throughout Southeast Asia, Nairobi. Yeah. I tell people every single hour from 7 a.m., all the way to about 5.30, go home, cook dinner, get all the girls ready, jump on evening meetings. Every hour has to have something yeah. or the whole thing never gets done. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And you we have to be way. organized in whatever way, whatever way gets you organized. You've got to find a system that works for you. That's right. And I would also add, and you have to rest because that's, it's not sustainable to go hundred miles per hour all the time. So we also have a, a pretty solid rhythm of rest in our schedules. Like every quarter we take some time offline and that allows us to recharge and have vision for where we're going over the next couple months. Yep. For those who are listening, that's very, very key. Nick, Ali, I would probably say, I didn't understand what you just said until age 41 when I was diagnosed with cancer. It wow. forced me to rest because in my yep. head all the time, I'll just keep going. Look, I've never been sick before. I would stay up until 12, 1230, work, get up again at 630. Weekends, I'd be working all day. I had no kids. I pushed myself and pushed myself until I was diagnosed with cancer and realized I needed to slow down because my body had changed. Yeah, for real. Yeah. Hey, Allie, uh, if they want to find you on Quite uh, Uncommon, where can they find you guys at? What website for the book, the organization, everything? Yeah, so uh, we, we would love everyone to check out futuresframework.com. 
Um, everything is there. Uh, we also have quiteuncommon.com um, that you're welcome to check out and see more about uh, just a little bit about our consulting work and some of the other strategy and futures work that we've done. But we've really tried to aggregate everything on futuresframework.com. Got it. Nick, I have to ask you the most serious question, and my audience will kill me if I didn't ask you since both of you guys so work at NASA. Uh, what is the best part of your job, and do you believe in aliens? Um, I'll answer the second question first, that it is, if you read the book, you will know about what is probable and what is plausible and what is possible. And I would say that aliens are very plausible uh, they're very possible. I'm not sure if they're probable. So that's kind of how I feel about aliens. Um, and then uh, the best part of the job is just working with people who have that childlike curiosity and get to make a career out of exploration. There is so, nothing yeah. like doing something that no one else has done before. Um, expanding the frontiers of our imagination, of exploration, of sustainable habitats on the moon, whatever it might be, everybody that we work with are, are explorers by nature. They're trying to do something that no one has done before. And that's pretty incredible. Got it. And Ellie, we are recording on the day where today is the inauguration. I'm not even saying whether you're Republican or Democrat, but it, it is another new chapter. Uh, we it are is. dealing with the vaccine. We're dealing with racism, all of that stuff. What is your hope that you see on this day and even in terms of what you're hoping for, for the global city, uh, global church? Yeah, so I just really loved, if, whoever watched the inauguration this morning, um, Amanda Gorman was yep. the young poet who spoke. And just with her words, she united a people. And she, with that language, um, envision something that so many are still struggling to envision. And so I think my hope is really in that same way, can we, can we empower young leaders like that to step up and envision a future and talk about it in a way that captures the imagination of the church in the world? Wouldn't you say, Ali and Nick, it is the same words you guys talk about Samuel. When Samuel calls David in from the pastor where he's tending the sheep and whispers to him, you will be the next king and gives him a vision. Now, it yeah. didn't go smoothly, but he became the greatest king Israel ever saw. Next That's to right. Jesus, of course. And he waited out a horrible long process between here and there. He didn't give up on the call and he believed the Lord. And in that same way, we want to help the next generation do that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Nick, Allie. I, look, I, this is the start, hopefully, of a brand new friendship. And I look forward to introducing you, whether it's Growth Center or Resource, to really get to know you guys a little bit more. Thanks really so much. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Grow Center's Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader Podcast. To stay connected, make sure you subscribe to the Grow Center channel, rate and review this episode, and make sure to share on your social media platforms. We would love for you to follow along with the Grow Center on Instagram and Facebook at Grow Center Network and our website at www.thegrowcenter.com. See you next time.